0: Hello and welcome to this, the second episode of Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan. I am a cinematographer, the founder of Albot Digital Cinema, a production company here in West Los Angeles, and a contributing writer of ProVideoCoalition.com for the past four years or so. Uh, This podcast is a conversation between cinematographers about the work. Um, In the first half, we're going to get to know the guest in question talk about their influences how they got to where they are that kind of thing and then in the second half we're going to talk about um you know the work that they're here to promote because usually that's why you get an interview is because they're there to promote something they've worked on which should be the case because then we get some case studies right so in this episode we've got josh richards the dp of nomadland Uh, we had a great conversation a lot of fun Um, great, lovely man, very nice, uh, he talks about his time at NYU, um, his search for the sort of classic American landscape that kind of, that western films sort of sold us on, some conversations he had with Roger Deakins briefly, you know, you gotta throw that at the head because everyone likes to know what Roger thinks. Sir Roger, sorry. And uh, yeah, just a great, um, fun conversation. Uh, I think he'll thoroughly enjoy it, so let's let him speak for himself. I'm rambling at this point. So without further ado, here is Josh Richards. Uh, hello, so we've uh, got Josh Richards here. He is the DP of Nomadland, and uh, today we're going to talk about um, shooting the film, a little bit about himself. Uh you know all that kind of stuff it's the first episode of um of the thing that i've just named what did i just name it frame and reference uh because we're talking about okay. the individual frames and uh the reference that brought us there both in life and in uh, uh in the film so joshua say uh, say hello to the people
1: hey kenny thanks for having me hello yeah. everyone
0: um, so to get started, I'd just like to, you know, talk about you. So what, uh, what got you started in cinematography?
1: Hmm. Um, my background, initially I wanted to be a painter. Um, sort of fine art was my background. Um, I think I just realized I had nothing new to say in that medium. <laughs> or if I did, it just seemed like such a daunting mountain to climb, you know, And um, I I was also, you know, I love photography and I was always snapping away and and loved movies. I was brought up on um, on a lot of Westerns. My dad was a big Western guy, big John Ford and Anthony Mann and people like that. So I think those things just, you know, just like a lot of us, mate, isn't it? Those those things sort of all came together and film just seemed so exciting to me, you know? Even at a young age, it seemed pretty clear that it's still such a sort of untapped medium. Um, I got really big into... Charlie Chaplin early on, and then it was only when I, and um, along with Westerns, and it was really only when I discovered people like Werner Herzog, Kenny, that I started realizing what film can really be, you know, um, probably a little bit more outside of the Hollywood 70s stuff I was watching, you know, it was, it was like, wow, film can kind of, you know, truly be um, this powerful form of language and communication. You know, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, so yeah, and then I got my eyes set on film school. And um, for some reason, I was—I I grew up in Penzance, Cornwall, and not a lot of filmmakers come out of there. Um, it's pretty—you de- know—it's—it's it's, it's, um, true. Like for those who don't know, that is deep, deep southwest England, and um, it's a sort of fishing industry that's a little bit on its knees. So that there's not much hope. of of becoming a filmmaker down there but for some reason I I just got in my head Kenny that I wanted to go to NYU and um, that's what ended up happening.
0: I certainly applied there. Did you? uh, Yeah I ended up going to Arizona State so you can guess how how they thought about me. (laughs) Well do you know what though mate the whole time I was in New York I was longing
1: for that landscape you know I was like where do I have to go? Like nomad land and these things that's why I came to America you know I wanted to get out into the heartlands and and I would ask my professors in New York, like, where do I have to go for this landscape I'm talking about? And They're like, yeah, probably like five states away.
0: Yeah, I've I've noticed uh, where you were. Yeah, well, now I'm in LA, so it's a little less uh, exciting at the moment. But um, you ever been to Colorado?
1: Yeah, we lived in Colorado for two years. Lived in okay. um, yeah, lived in Denver down on on uh, Colfax for yep. about two years, and that was when we made the rider. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's been quite interesting how the films have kind of changed our life, Kenny, because after making songs, I don't know, I just couldn't settle back into New York after that experience. You know, it was quite a long time we spent out there on the reservation in South Dakota. And when I went back to Manhattan, I just couldn't feel comfortable anymore. So then we moved out into the sticks into, um, into Be- to Beacon upstate uh which is where chloe edited songs and then we um moved to uh colorado yeah just to just to be near to the reservation i suppose and, and we'd fallen in love with the rockies yeah what'd you yeah. ask by the way what, what'd you ask oh
0: i uh i used to run a the college ski club and i've been uh helping <laughs> do that ever since i've been i haven't had to pay for a lift ticket in 11 years i didn't obviously go this year but uh yeah so i'm in colorado all the time it's like my and and I, I get that. Like, I love L.A. I love cities. um You know, I grew up in the Bay Area. But uh, there's just something about the quiet of a mountain especially when it's snowing. Like, that's just... And there's also, like, a camaraderie that I, I don't necessarily feel in a bigger city.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me personally as well, mate, like, when I was at NYU, there's a bar right next to NYU called the Apple Bar. Mm. And I, I do remember one of my professors saying, Josh, there's... There's two kinds of students here. There's those that go home and write their scripts after class, then there's those that go to Apple Bar. And I know which one I was, Kenny. (laughs) So part, what I'm trying to say is part of, for me getting out of New York was also that silence you're talking about, being able to focus more and and not sit around talking about your films, but just getting out and making stuff. It's actually, in my career, that's been incredibly important, making that distinction. Stop talking about it. Just do it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's actually something that I've talked to um, a lot of my friends about, even outside of cinematography. And that's, hmm. um, you know, you can spend all day uh, reading your favorite cinematography books, going on, you know, there's certainly bad stuff on YouTube, but there's a lot of good stuff on YouTube like this interview. Um, and, uh, you know, you can go on Roger Deakins forums all day, but you're not going to get that institutional knowledge from just doing it. Like it, you can only prepare so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, from Chloe's point of view as a writer and director as well, she feels the same way. You know, I mean, it really is like um, Kerouac said, man, you want to be a good writer, just write the shit out of it.
0: Yeah. And so for people who don't know, uh, Chloe Zhao is your uh, collaborator, I suppose, at this point.
1: Uh, Chloe is also, yeah, we're we're also a, a, a couple. I see. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a partnership. Um, and uh that I really have learned so much from as well, Kenny, man. I mean, the the, the value of collaboration, of close collaboration like that. You know, that's such a huge part of, of it as well, isn't it? Because I, I I know so many talented DPs and probably more talented ones than I, who just haven't really got the project yet. Sure. Do you know what I mean? You must know a lot of people too, mate. You know, you can tell that. There's so much great stuff out there visually, but if you don't get this, you know, if a story doesn't come your way or if you're not finding collaborators, it, you know, it's tough.
0: That was a, uh, I, I reached out to the old internet um, to see what questions they would have for cinematographers if they had this opportunity. And a lot of them wanted to know about like literally just that, like how do you find jobs? How does that even happen? You know, jobs don't grow on the jobby tree.
1: Yeah. Well, Film school had to be my route, you know, I'm not sure I recommend it, but yeah, I, I, w- I know how that feels. You know, I was in London, um, no doors opened for me. I just couldn't, you know, I had an um, undergrad um, film degree of creative writing. So I read scripts for months for money. Um, and that i have to, that would actually be my advice to cinematographers. It might sound weird, but get really good at reading scripts, you know, we, we, our, our, um, you know, we're, we're concerned with the language of cinema as much as anything else. You know, we we want to start there, don't we, Kenny? Not with the more cosmetic things of cinematography that comes later. First right. and foremost is building that foundation of how you, what is your language? How do you want to make movies? Maybe you're you're a DP that can, you know, is a chameleon and can fit into every different project. I, I knew quite early on that I wasn't that. And so my advice, if, for, for what I the way I thought of it when I was at film school was I need to come up with what my language is and I need that to be recognizable to people. And I so because I want to be one of those DPs where they, they say, you know, it'd be great for this is Josh Richards because of what he does. And that becomes recognized. And then they can bank on that. You know what I mean, Kenny? And I, I I think that's quite valuable to people when they can they can see your your fingerprint.
0: I think that's huge. I, I've seen, uh, especially these days, a lot of people will put out their reel, and their reel will be, it'll be like, I can do uh, commercials, short films, blah 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 blah. And the, and instead of really focusing on creating a look, they will show the project, like, oh look, I I did th- I made this mistake. You know, all of my work was in fashion for the most part, fashion and um, music videos. Yeah. And then I got one short film, and I put that at the head of the reel, and I sent it to a, a guy who I had worked with, who was impressed me. I've worked with a lot of uh, British companies for some reason. Uh, send it over to him, you know P and Co, the company clothing company.
1: Rings a bell, mate. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hmm. about. I've been here for twelve years, mate. So I'm I, I, I'm pretty much a American. Fair,
0: fair. Yeah. Uh, welcome. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I sent it to, to a buddy of mine who uh, lives in the UK and he just sent back like delete that first part. Yeah. He, he, I was actually, you know what? I'm I'm saying that backwards. I sent my reel to work for him. And he said that he sent me a reply. I said, we're going to use you. I want you to know that I shut off your reel in the first five seconds. And it was my wife who watched the whole thing and told me to turn around and and call you. Oh, cool. And it was just because I put the thing that I thought I was like, Oh, like if I put, uh, this crappy clip of the short film I worked on, people will know I can work on short films and it's, no, it's, if you have a a defined look, that's, people will want that for their project, whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I mean, reels are tough though, aren't they, Matt? Especially when you're editing your own, you know, and being being kind of objective about it. And, um, yeah, reels, I don't know if I ever made a successful one either. Uh, to be honest with you you know um, I think what happens with those is the is the, the risk that happens to all of us as cinematographers man. and I, and I do think it's yeah getting too cosmetic about things sure and do the you, thing with that as you know with, with commercials and like that can make you money um, but do you really want to be that I mean you know a client the amount of times a client's come up to me Kenny and said uh, can you make her look prettier and I'll never get that part of my soul back again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, you do have to make up your mind about, you know, there's a lot of things, aren't there, to, to consider when deciding on your language and how you want to work. You
0: know? Yeah. Um, do, you, uh, do you have a, uh, I know you're saying you watched a lot of like Westerns and stuff, but is there like a, a, a specific look influence? Like for me, I, you know, I, I'm not speaking as an individual here. Like, I think everyone's enamored with the guy, but Fincher's cinematography, you know, what he kind of imposes on, on his DPs, I've always thought was boring in a good way. Like it's always just so perfect. And then I found out, you know, obviously how much work he's doing in post with split comps and deleting lights and boom poles and all this, but like, um, that idea of start from perfect, I always thought was, uh, important in some way.
1: Well, that's interesting, Kenny, because I'm probably the, the opposite school of that. As much as I, again, this is, this is what's cool. Like at yeah. film school, I look at Fincher and I'm like, love it. The softness, the, 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 the yeah, there's a character to his films that I think is stunning. I'm just not going to be able to do it. You know, sure. and I knew that early on. And I'm like, and also that the technicalities of that excite me far less than if I, per, for me personally, if I'm out in, in a landscape, with the face that I like yeah and that's why I discovered for me and then you kind of just keep chipping away in your you know in your own in your direction and the, there's people who guide you for me it's probably Tarkovsky
0: I think okay awesome yeah.
1: I look at his films I'm just blown man like you know um, I also saw a uh, and I was, I was talking to Roger Deakins recently mate my good old mate Roger yeah Um,
0: sir sir Roger
1: Sir Roger, call myself a Brit man, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but so no. He said the he was like yeah because he said I want to get to understand Tarkovsky more, and I thought that was really cool. You know, it's like I feel the same way. I like watching stuff that I don't quite understand. You know, I feel like it's making me grow as a filmmaker. And I also watched a a lecture that Tarkovsky was doing, mate, where he said he. If a shot, if someone, if someone said, oh, that shot's like that shot in this film, then you wouldn't do it. Yeah. If a shot's been done, I'm not doing it. It needs, to, it needs to be completely new. It needs to be for the story. It can't be like another movie. So there you go. That's a completely different way of thinking about film, uh, you know, when compared to someone like Tarantino, for example. So, you know, I just, there's just so many ways to do it in this, art, in this, this medium, isn't there?
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, that I think uh, like I, I see a guitar back there. Are you Are you a musician in any form?
1: Oh, or you no, just, have just have a guitar? It, mate. You know, just,
0: yeah. But so I, uh, I'm a drummer and I've always thought like, there's something in my head that music and, and cinematography are like, or filmmaking and cinema and, and music are, are intrinsically linked and one of those things was like when you're playing guitar and your favorite musician uses a certain pedal in a certain guitar so you buy that stuff and then you sound exactly like him and then you lose complete interest Mm -hmm. because you did it but then you kind of go back a little bit later when you've got your own thoughts and you're like I don't actually like that pedal I don't really did you find yourself doing that with cinematography where you were copying first and then Mm. was like all right I'm done here
1: yeah yeah because that well that was that's what you do in painting as well, Kenny. You know, your apprenticeship sure. is just going to be copy, copy, copy. And then that's how you understand the technique. Now, what do you want to do with it? So yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: I was more, I didn't kind of go at it in a technical way though. You know, I wasn't like, I'm more just like watch Chris Doyle and and just try to absorb that the freedom of what he's doing or or the boldness of lens choice or, you know, I'm yeah. more, I'm, influence in that way rather than like how do exactly do i achieve that thing you know i suppose i'm not um you know i'm probably a bit more in the jackson pollock school do you know what i mean mate than 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 uh you know to anything too intricate in the way i approach things if that makes sure
0: sense. i i've noticed uh in sort of your body of work there's a lot of um naturalism you know tchaikovsky J- is probably the, the answer there but uh how do you how do you this will dovetail us into the uh project you're here to promote but uh how do you embrace naturalism how do you um use available light you know are, are you like really grip heavy over lamp heavy or what's what's kind of your approach there
1: yeah definitely grip over lamp um i, I was forced to embrace it though can do you know what i mean so we we're all starting with making films with no money and um you know with no equipment um But also, yeah, like you mentioned Tarkovsky and also obviously Nestor Mendroz and like Robbie Ryan, you know, great. um, uh, 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 Acapul, you know, all these guys really led the way for me in terms of natural light and kind of going, oh, okay. Well, I love how these movies look and they're not using lights, so I'm good, right? You know, Malik's been doing. And I just honestly love it, man. I just, no day is the same, you know? You can never quite plan what it's going to be, um, you know, weather is a sort of a common enemy that like unites everyone, isn't it? In a weird way. Sure. I found that like, a lot of the dramas of the film set kind of go out the window when we're all chasing the sun. Um,
0: There's definitely something to be said for, uh, you know, the, obviously you want to enact a plan, but um, yeah, that com- that common enemy thing definitely like gets stops arguments. If yeah. you have too much room to to think, you'll you'll start to bite each other. But if, if you
1: you're go start, people start going inward, don't they? Me, me, me. But in the, yeah. the landscape and the weather, it's like no, no, no. The film. Remember the film. So it's really helpful <laughs> in that way. You know. Yeah. Um, so, go ahead. Well, I mean, we could talk all day about natural light in, a, in in a sense, but I kind of I also realized talking to you, mate. I need to. I need to. I never had like mentors
0: in cinematography either did you? No no.
1: Yeah like we're quite alone you can quickly feel quite alone and in a void can't you as a cinematographer because you don't really I don't know about you I'm not really I don't know many other cinematographers I don't really hang out with other filmmakers so sometimes I could probably do with a little more camaraderie and learning from my peers a bit more or just feeling like with yeah we're bouncing off each other because for the most part it's all happened in a vacuum really
0: yeah no i'm I'm exactly the same way there's uh i know most of my friends like i'm lucky where all my friends from college moved to la with me and you know so we've known each other for 12 years uh and we were all in film school. So, but no one, I was the only cinematographer, you know, a couple editors, a couple directors, whatever. So even when I make stuff they're they're like, Oh, good job. And they don't watch it. You know, the classic, uh, the old classic, but um, yeah, I think I know one cinematographer, he lives across the street from me. His name's Johnny Durango. Uh,
1: <laughs> Damn, man.
0: Yeah. Great name on, he's on Johnny. On, he's
1: already on his way with a name like that. Huh?
0: Yeah. He got, he got director of photography.com.
1: No, <laughs> I don't know
0: how he pulled that off. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, it's a
1: strange relationship, though, as well, isn't it? Between us DPs and filmmakers in general, you know, you can quickly it's the first thing people say, Oh, you should meet my friend who makes movies, and la de and you just think, Not really, no,
0: yeah, yeah, or. Or they're like, "Oh, my friend directs movies. Oh, really? What did they direct? Well, they're right now they're writing the script. But you should shoot it.
1: Yeah, that's
0: the one. yeah,
1: oh, dude, I've got a, I've got a script. My friend's got this script. You should. It's good. yeah.
0: My buddy, uh, my buddy, you you should really. It's great. He's really funny. Take it to your director friend who just won an Emmy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have to take it on the chin, don't we? You know, I mean, it's like when I was doing creative writing. But every pub, everyone's got a film. You know, everyone's. Yeah. Than a story they just haven't got around to it yet
0: you know? oh man in uh in LA there's definitely uh, I can count probably twice off the top of my head where I was in an uber uh, ne- inevitably the you know what do you do uh, cinematography oh you know uh, if you look in the behind the seat there I got my script really That's
1: so cool though I love there it,
0: it. I love it. <laughs> it's about that thick you know
1: <laughs> yeah have you edited this yeah but yeah, uh I-
0: I was going to say, so we can uh, get to, instead of talking about other people. Um, so does, so talking about Nomadland, this is a story about Frances McDermott. What's, what's going on in her life in the, in the movie?
1: Well, Fran plays a character called Fern, who um, is widowed and has also left her hometown of Empire, Nebraska, which is, has actually been discontinued. It was a sheetrock factory um, which means in the middle of the desert, right by a uh, burning man. And uh, believe it or not, once that factory shut down, that meant that was it for the town. And um, anyway, Fern leaves Empire and, and, and starts finding new purpose on the road across the American heartlands, mm. meeting other nomads and um bouncing off, you know, other people on a journey and kind of learning that. I'll stop it there, mate.
0: <laughs> Fair. What? Uh, so the it sounds a little maybe not dire, but uh, a little more serious of a film, um, potentially.
1: I hope it doesn't feel dire. I mean, it's it certainly deals with grief and loss, and it deals with being in a in a world that you don't belong in, that you don't feel you belong in anymore. Mm. Um, however, I mean, our approach on it, mate, was that it feel like a um, a spiritual experience somehow or or a um this sort of feeling of like you know what malik's been exploring in his films some somewhat that burn discovers herself in this landscape you know and so it does right. you know the book that it's based on by jessica bruder nomadland you know i mean it really is challenging our kind of um societal norms in terms of like the way we live you know the house the mortgage that we get the, you know these things and then in America, um, sadly, you know, we have this generation, um, sort of baby boomer generation, predominantly women, uh, just possibly even more troubling, who find themselves having worked their whole lives, and their social security is nothing. They can't right. afford a house. They have no choice but to to do what they're doing, which is to live a sort of transient lifestyle as a nomad. And that can sound dire and bleak certainly and and I think we've we've seen that movie what Chloe wanted to do was challenge the other thing it's like well actually perhaps there is another life to discover in those golden years of your life when you don't need those societal norms perhaps by letting go of them there's a new kind of freedom and and, um, identity to be found.
0: I mean there's certainly uh, these days uh, a lot of people across the spectrum doing a lot of soul searching, you know, so I can, that's, that's definitely an important message. How, um, how'd you go about uh, designing the look for the film just kind of overall? Were you, were you playing kind of on, um, uh, uh, principles that you had built over the, over the years with the other films or what was, what was that like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was definitely a common language that Chloe and I've developed together, um, you know, which is why I'm saying those collaborations become so valuable um, because you're, so much of the work's been done, you know, and it's unspoken. So it was, it was kind of amazing, you know, like thinking back our conversations, I would just say, I was thinking the camera could move more with Fern in this film, Chloe, what do you think? She was like, yeah, great, do it. And she just sort of trusts me to, to, to run with that. Obviously, I'm never going to do anything um that she hasn't first kind of come up with but i'm just i'm i just know what she likes mate do you know what i mean so oh. I'm a suggestion it's never treading on anyone's toes because I'm, I'm starting with what would chloe want um and it's uh, and and you know the groundwork's been done in terms of working with non-actors as well um
0: because there's a bunch of those in this film right Sorry? there's a bunch of non-actors in the film
1: yeah, like all our nomads are, you know, first time actors and never, never been in front of the camera for the most part. And so, you know, that changes everything, Kenny, doesn't it? That's yeah. when, as cinematographers, you put the tools aside and you think about the approach. So with this being the most important thing, with this being these lived in, true to life, um, I wouldn't even call them performances sometimes it's like people are tr- literally sharing their stories with us on camera and it's like are you really gonna stick a silk in front of their face and blast them with a you know it's like no you're not gonna do any of those things obviously i mean it's enough that the camera is observing them that's it that's all you get and so um that changes everything you know you work you really work backwards from that point
0: yeah so it was a, it was like a hybrid documentary almost
1: certainly mate yes yeah nomad land i guess they would term that sort of hybrid chloe and i run out of ways of describing it in a way mate because honestly i don't see that much difference with when i've done documentary work in fact if you think a documentary is more true than I mean, most documentaries are no more true than the most elaborate fiction. They are edited, I, they are shot, observed, people are acting a certain way because the camera's there. The edit, the filmmaker has a, has a point they want to make. So, it, you know, it's, it's structured in a way to make you, what's the difference? I,
0: if anything, a documentary could be more manipulative because the assumption is that you're watching uh, someone's truth. But the edit can absolutely warp people's meanings, words, anything.
1: Michael Moore, I find him a kind of a dangerous documentary filmmaker because he does that. And it's like, look, if you're asking me to trust you, man. I shouldn't have to. You should just give me the facts, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and he um, does it very tongue-in-cheek tongue in as well. It's like he, he's assuming you know, but not everyone is as as educated of a film viewer. Yes. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Like turning around on Charlton Heston in bowling for Columbine, for example. You know, there's a, it's clearly one camera, Yeah, it's shot like there's two. So they right. shot Michael Moore's reaction after the fact. That's some, that's what we did on
0: Nomadland. Land. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know
1: what I'm saying? It's the same thing. But obviously, what's different is, no, no, Josh, but in the film, there's a script and there's, you know, yes. Um, but as we both know, when you start doing a documentary, there's definitely a map of what, you, what you're trying to say. So I would just challenge the, the, the labels a little bit as well. Um, sure. I would also argue quite an interesting thing happens when you, you approach people with these films because like on Pine Ridge, for example, the Lakota Indian Reservation, they are sick to death mate of people coming there and filming them, you know, with a long lens and like gorillas in the mist, you know, like, right. Like, oh, look at you! You still exist, and they're just like rolling their eyes. But then, when we went in and we were like, the the reaction was really doing a documentary, and then we're like, no, it's a movie. Do you want to be in it? They're like, totally. That's awesome. What's it about? So it's actually there's a um, an empowerment that happens, and actually, I would argue that they settle into it, and you you, it's a t- really a collaboration. I, I I really enjoyed it, mate. I find found it deeply satisfying to make films with these people in this way
0: well and i've always said like uh people everyone likes being on camera whether they say it or not what they don't like is being exposed they want to be celebrated anyone does and uh i think in a documentary setting there's danger of being exposed but if you have lines or if you have a goal in head, I think you can work towards being celebrated. How many takes were you? Were people asking asking for?
1: Yeah. Well, again, with this approach, you know, usually Chloe would start with the um, you know, the nomads or the first time actor, mm. and uh, ease them in. As you say, it, you're right. It it does. What it does is you, like Carl Rogers, the um, the the uh, the, the clinician. You know, he came up with this thing of like therapy and the ways to ask people questions. And he, and he said a really interesting, and I read it before doing Nomadland, and it, cause he said like, you, you need to look at people as the expert of their own experience. And I was like, that's so awesome in, in exactly what Chloe's trying to do. Because if you can write for that person and if you can write for their story, they will be it. You know, yeah. once the camera comes onto them it's just, it's perfect casting. Chloe's just done it backwards, okay? She just started with the, the character and then, and then wrote the script for that, that character and that, that
0: person. Yeah. So how did... How... Say again?
1: That's what makes it possible. You can't do this and then try to get Swanky to act a certain way. That's unfair on Swanky. She's never pretended to be an actor. You, you know, she said oh, she was going to bring Swanky. And so, yes, it does empower... It does celebrate her. In fact, that's what Nomadland is meant to be, in, in my opinion, mate. It's, that's certainly what I was thinking behind the camera, is that we're celebrating this country, you know? Mm. How,
0: did, uh, how did the project influence your gear choices? Were you just going with what you were familiar with, or what was, what was that like?
1: Well, I approached it almost like three different films in a way that were kind of folding into each other. You know, there is this documentary ele- element to it, certainly in terms of um, totally spontaneous things that are happening. But Chloe has created a kind of um, parameters around that for me, for us to work in. Does that make sense? Like It's an organized chaos, if you know what I mean. Sure. And And then there are straight up scripted scenes between Fran and David Stratham. Now you have two actors, but now it needs to look as spontaneous as the other stuff though. It needs to feel like the same movie, doesn't it? yeah then and then there was this kind of movement through the landscape that the challenge there mate was it just can't feel like a travel log it can't feel like postcards it's it's like how do you make it emotional right so tech um in terms of um equipment those three different things required different equipment for the movement i I went with the ronin too i don't know if you've used it yeah yeah and um i was liberated mate i don't know i don't know what they're going to come out with next but Thank goodness they figured it out because it was great on nomadland i had it ready the whole time with the mini and, and and a mirror just on the car so mm. at any one time there was two cameras for me to just grab in, in whatever situation do you know what i mean so it was um a really rigid language as well that chloe and i came up with so with one word i'm like okay it's on the ronin go you know gotcha. a very nimble and very quick way of working that made those sort of magic hour hustles possible
0: yeah, because you were shooting a lot at Magic Hour, right?
1: We did, mate. Yes. Um, again, I. It, it was always just discussing emotion and where's Fran in the story, and what you know. And I was influenced by those Hudson Valley River School painters, like Beard Stad and people. You know, it's those the sublime American landscape, the mountains and the ethereal glow in the distance, and it feels like the sun's leaving us behind. You know, there's this decay in the foreground like a fallen tree or a dead buffalo or something and you just feel like yeah that's the journey west like so that that influenced it you know and then um, sure. Ropes of Wrath and John Ford movies and um, yeah and then we watched Happy Together on set actually we did a little screening of Happy Together which was cool Kenny it was just the crew it was like guys we need let's just encourage each other to be as creative and free on this as possible it was looking yeah. out- movie is
0: <laughs> yeah did uh, what was your what was your lens choice
1: so we shot um Zeiss ultra primes which yeah that was just uh, from um, Chloe falling in love with them on the rider it wasn't really a question and and, and keeping it very limited you know 32 16 25 or an 18 but, you know it's yeah. really three three lenses
0: how important uh... This is a loaded question because I definitely have an opinion. How important is staying to uh, three lenses over having a full kit of zooms or an eight lens kit or having any option you want?
1: Well, I'm sure we agree, mate, that these limitations are what's going to create the language and look of the film, first and foremost. um, They create anchors in the story as well. That, you know, when we lead you, there's so many different landscapes in this film. Kenny, that was. As I saw at the beginning, maybe I was wrong, but that I thought was my biggest challenge was how to anchor the audience in these places, and I think the lens choice really helps with that as well. Yeah. And too many options is the is, is a danger to any artist, I think, isn't it? Yeah. But, it's, but nevertheless, it's still the hardest thing to do, I think. Keep it simple.
0: Well, and I think too, you know, the more obviously, the more work you do, the more easily you can think of a lens and just like stand in an area and go, yeah, I know what this will look like on a 23 or 32 or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the most important thing to us was, you know, as you know, people like Deacons have talked about forever, you know, it was keeping things wide and close, you know, inside the action very much. Uh, personal. Yeah. Intimacy, you know, and, and getting almost as close to people as, I don't know what you think about this though, mate, but the way I, Approach cinematography as well. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to communicate the way the way I see the world. Yeah. So I don't. When I hold my fist, I can see. Here's my periphery, right? It's actually pretty wide angle. You know, when do you ever really see anything on a zoom lens?
0: Yeah. No. I'm definitely of the mind that like I I've shot almost everything in my career between 18 and
1: 35. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll,
0: yeah, yeah they, i'll hit a 50 for an insert
1: yeah a macro insert. yeah okay cool we're on the same page mate. And, I, and and i would argue because it was cool i asked deakins when he watched fargo now would he change anything about it you know what would what would he do differently and um, one of the things that came up was that he might be a bit wider with things and then we then we went into a conversation about what like trends of cinematography and what, what it means, like more modern cinematography, do you know what I mean, mate? And I, and I do think, you know, when we look to films like The Revenant and we, and, and we look to some of these bolder choices in, in, in um, cinematography, it seems more geared towards immersiveness, doesn't it? And, and um, yeah, like this empathy machine as people describe cinema. And so I'm on board with that, man. And I, I actually, a lot of my, I, I watch a lot of like uh, real world gaming stuff. I don't know about yeah. you, I'm not a gamer, but I watch it. Dude, I mean that's what cinema's up against, in my opinion. If kids are playing that kind of I mean, it is beautiful what they're doing now, isn't it? I mean, I stopped um, playing computer games after Goldeneye on the N64 because I was an addict. But sure. what they're doing now visually is so exciting, I
0: think. You know, what well, and on those streams, the production value is really high. Like I've been producing a couple of live streams for some friends and uh, not like gaming, but um, like live like this and uh you really gotta like up the over like my photoshop skills have been put to the test man like (laughs) you gotta put cool designs and
1: that stuff well i I mean that the way these these are you know back to zelda and and things like that just the way you're just the
0: games themselves
1: yeah the games themselves the visual language of the game this immersiveness of a world that you just walk around in and that's Mm -hmm. literally the point of the game
0: yeah there's a couple good like uh a lot of film, uh, let's see, Last of Us, Last of Us 2, God of War. There's a handful of games that like reach out to cinematographers and go like, we're going to put the mm. digital camera in your hands, the iPad, and you film this scene. Like God of War is, is uh, played as a one take.
1: Mm, really? The okay. whole movie oh, wow. or the
0: whole game. and uh,
1: Really? See, that sound. that's, dude, to me, that's the vanguard. Like if we're talking visually.
0: Yeah, it's it's stunning it's one it won a ton of awards but uh, getting back to uh, your project I see the problem with I've noticed with talking with other filmmakers, other cinematographers is we never want to talk about what we did. <laughs> it's always like what's what's the cool thing that I just saw um, One thing I'm trying to do on the podcast is ask each cinematographer to highlight one of their favorite shots and highlight uh, something that was particularly difficult so you can walk us through the problem solving. Um, so whichever one you'd like to start with, uh, the floor is yours <laughs> if you can think that quickly
1: well a, a difficult shot. you know what's hard about these questions man is I feel like I'm drawing attention to my blunders
0: not necessarily your blunders just something that particularly was uh, a challenge that you were able to overcome not necessarily if it was like a bad shot or anything but
1: okay well it's a good lesson because I you know there was a shot towards the end of the movie that I just knew was a dolly shot. And, um, but I opted not to take a dolly because I just knew I'd never use it other than just maybe this last thing, right? And um, I got to the shot and I was like, it's a dolly shot, I said it was. <laughs> How am I ever going to be able to do this shot with the Ronin? Close like, you can do it. Anyway, I did the shot and it's, you know, I, I can barely look at it now, but um, it's okay it's okay. And, and, and the stabilization's a great thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is that, would you say that speaks to, uh, cause I definitely know this happens to me that would, you should go with your gut nine times out of 10, like well, the, that flow I just, state.
1: <laughs> I just made the decision. It, it probably would have meant a bigger truck. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it right. was like, okay. So it's the, it's the Ronin orbit. It's the bringing the dolly or keeping things super tight. And I went for the latter. I mm-hmm. think it was the right decision. Actually I do. I, I i you know it, that was the spirit of it kenny if you keep adding things like that before you know it you, you haven't stripped things down at all why don't you just totally. don't you throw a few hmis on that as well i mean and now you've got a, a truck full of lights and you might end up using them
0: which right
1: so you know it was. I, I wanted to really limit my resources you know
0: so sure no i, I believe in that so, uh so same question on the other side. Uh, favorite shot in the film, something you, that really excited you? Or just like...
1: I think I've just got to go with close-up, man. of Because that's what I love, dude, about. I mean, it, that's what I love about cinema. You know, Bergman's quote. It's, it's, the, it's the art form of the human face. And I love the way... Because it just brought everything together. Like the way Chloe and Fran worked together when she stood in the doorway at the end of the film, there's a close-up of Fran and I just love everything about her face. And um, there's a critic that described Fran's face as a national park.
0: (laughs) um, She is a national treasure.
1: She's a national treasure, man. And um, I mean, that's something else to talk about. Kenny Is, is, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but when we, when it comes to lighting and, and makeup and dealing with, you know, on certain projects, obviously, you know, you want to make sure you have the actors back and, you know, they need to look a certain way. However, on a film like this, man, if you're not celebrating the lines drawn in people's faces, then you shouldn't be shooting it. Yeah. I, yeah.
0: I describe that uh, especially I do color work on the side and um, I always, I always say uh, do, do your, do, do a buddy a favor, you know, if you see like like a pimple, doesn't need to be there. I know how to get rid of a pimple in, in Resolve, but True. like if you've got, you know, a craggly face and it's supposed to be craggly, like maybe a little bit of mid-tone detail to yeah. heighten that the way you light it, you know? Um, I just think- Lines you know, I, are beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I remember at film school, I don't know how cinematographer was for you. I mean, I, it was amazing. They, I didn't know what an F-stop was when I arrived at NYU. So Sandy Sissel, Tony Ginelli, Peter Stein, Tom Richmond. Like I they they I just owe so much to them, they encouraged me endlessly. However, I do remember some discussions. We were watching a scene. I won't won't say which, which film, but there's a scene where the actress has a particular vein that kind of, you know, to her vein, it protrudes a bit. She's emotional. And it was a discussion about is that a mistake on the cinematographer's part? And I I was. I felt really strongly about it. Absolutely not. No, no, it's beautiful. It's in fact the scene was about her remembering when she was the beauty queen at the prom or something. So the more wrinkles, the better, isn't it? You know. But you know what I'm saying, mate. There's a sort of go-to thing sometimes in this industry and and with cinematographers where it's, you're not thinking; you're just making something pretty. And yeah, that, that's start, man, because you know
0: that's definitely. I think. Uh... A uh, early in their career, cinematographer move is to just make everything a pretty shot. Yeah, what does which that mean? often. Yeah, you know, is it is it three point lighting? Is it supposed to look like it's on stage? You know, we can teach them
1: three um, point lighting. Do you know what I mean it's and yeah, no, it's tricky, mate. I mean, I also feel like, what was I going to say because. That, that, deacon's talked about it a lot as well man you know the the sort of um the cosmetic uh trends we're seeing in in cinematography you know and and, and it troubles me a bit because it's being led by the commercial industry music videos yeah it's not coming from storytelling
0: yeah well we uh we've i literally could talk to you for another two hours about this kind of stuff but we gotta we gotta wrap it up um so just to end it you know i like to ask you know what uh what advancements excite you about cinematography um, you know what what have you done especially during this year that's helped you creatively and uh, are you do you have any more personal projects or anything on the way
1: sure yeah i, mean, I I'm excited by all the the, this, the fact that these cameras are getting smaller and smaller you know it's like that um Francis Ford Coppola prophecy back in the day remember that basically- yeah. yeah youtube and that's where we are mate and i am on board dude i am the more um the smaller these cameras can be and the more people can make movies and them look aesthetic you know look cinematic is so exciting i think you know 10 years old, we'll be watching youtube mate in fact even now I, I just watched something the other day there's a little girl in pine ridge just filming a, a horse in a outside her trailer home this beautiful white horse it just runs off into the badlands and it's like one of the coolest little short movies <laughs> you've ever seen so i think i'm i'm excited for the like yes the sort of professionalism to get broken down a bit and and then we can really start taking off as as you know an art form It's totally. yeah so um what was the last part
0: uh personal projects anything that you're doing that you enjoy you know photography other mil- movies music whatever
1: yeah well i've been writing, writing a lot and um chloe know, i've been we've all sort of setting up other projects in the future and um, sort of generating our own material, really. Um, So I think I'm gonna take on Oceanscapes next, mate, which might be a horrible idea. But, (laughs) you know, I grew up by the sea, so yeah, I'm excited. Let's try and, uh, how do we... I was so inspired by this film, Leviathan, not the Russian one, the um, the GoPro one on the fishing boat. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I'm talking about, Kenny. So yeah, pretty exciting
0: awesome well i also grew up like i said in the bay area next to the ocean so i will look forward to that
1: <laughs> well it's so it happens, mate fingers crossed you never know
0: yeah well uh thanks again for being the first guest on frame and reference uh i really appreciate it Thank and you. uh to everyone listening you'll hear us next time thanks kenny so once again, thanks to Josh for having that conversation with me. I had a great time. I hope you did too, listener. Uh, I do. I will say he did mention um, how Tarkovsky influenced him, and I was, and I realized that I hadn't actually studied any Russian cinematographers, especially not in college, but even recently, which is an oversight on my part. So I went and got uh, his book, *Sculpting in Time*. Uh, which you can see right here if you're watching the video version um if you didn't know actually i should bring it up uh frame and reference comes in three formats you can read it at provideocoalition.com you can watch it uh at youtube.com slash owlbot o-w-l-b-o-t or uh you can listen to it hopefully that's kind of what you're doing now it's available on most any platform but any who's sculpting in time by uh Andre Tarkovsky here. I'm um, gonna really enjoy that because there is a, a sort of uh, documentary style, I'll say, cinematography out there that I briefly studied and then got really more into um, more formal cinematography myself, even though a lot, most of, almost all of my early work was very um, documentary style. So uh, I was doing that more intuitively and not, uh, as an educated cinematographer, as it were. That came later. Uh, but enough about me. Once again, thanks to Josh for having that conversation with me. Thanks to Pro Video for distributing this. And thanks to you for listening. You will hear us in the next one. Frame and Reference is an Owlbot production. It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark Pelly, and the FR Matbox logo was designed by Nate Truax of Truax Branding Company. You can read or watch the interview you just heard by visiting provideocoalition.com or youtube.com slash owlbot, respectively. And as always, thanks for listening.